1: What a great Sunday to be in church! We do have some important elections coming up in the life of this country. We have the privilege and the honor to uh, to be a part of the government of this country. In fact, we are the authority in this country. We, the people, and every two years, we have an opportunity to elect representatives to positions of power and seats of authority and uh, and we should be electing and voting for representatives that believe and stand on the word of God. That these are the values that we hold true. These are the values that we should be supporting. These are the values that we should be promoting. And so it does take a little bit of work. You do have to, to do some research at times, and, and regardless of what political affiliation a candidate has, regardless of what party they're for, or, or what they, they voted for, what they said they were going to do in the past, the Bible tells us that we're supposed to be fruit inspectors. The Bible says that we will know them by their fruit. Well, if the leaders that, that represent you have not been producing good fruit, then you should vo- not vote for them anymore. <laughs> And conversely if there's leaders that have been doing good things producing good fruit which lines up with the word of God then we should continue to vote for them and encourage other people to vote for them as well. And so maybe maybe you haven't had time to to go through the the huge laundry list of all the candidates, and so that's why we have the the Remnant Voter Guide. This is an incredible organization. They've got a table out in the lobby they've set up. They've done a lot of time, spent a lot of time and energy researching these candidates, and we believe that these people agree with the Word of God, they stand for the Word of God, and they're gonna represent the Word of God more than anything else in the office, and that's what we wanna continue to strive for in this country, amen? I do wanna recognize again the amazing Mr. Stan Kaplan. So good to have you here with us today. Running for the 51st District, U.S. Congress, a position of influence and power and authority. And, um, and I, I think it's a testament to, to your character, sir, that you, that you were not a career politician, but you saw that this the person that's in this seat of office currently believes in socialistic principles and is not taking this country in the direction that we should be heading, or at least this district, which includes El Cajon. And so uh, we want to put somebody uh, with the right values, the right morals, integrity into that seat who believes in the, the principles this country was founded on is going to continue to support them. So, uh, and I just I just have a word for you, real quick. The um, the intent that God has put on your heart, the mission, the calling that He has given you, has not been fully released yet. There's like you have a picture, you have a vision of the calling, the mission, the assignment that you have. Um, and, and I just I hear that that the answer is coming in stages. That there's gonna be there's gonna be stages of victory. There's gonna be stages of increase. And each each step along the way, you're gonna have the decision and choice if you want to take the next step, if you want to continue to to pursue this calling, and and um, the mission, the assignment that you have cannot be done alone. Like that, It it, it includes people that you're supposed to bring up, and I just see step by step by step, every step up that you take, every time you say yes to the call of God, every time you say yes to his mission for your life, you're supposed to be leading somebody else another step up behind you. You're supposed to be, and they're supposed to be leading another person, and they're supposed to be leading another person. So it's not just one person that's climbing a mountain or climbing these steps. You've got a whole army of people that are behind you. Every step you take is echoed, echoed, echoed with every person behind you, we're behind you, we're beside you, we're with you, encouraging you. So thank you so much for what you're doing. And everybody else who's running for a position, Morgan McGill, incredible woman of God. So I do, if you can't tell, I do believe this is a very important time in the life of not just our church, not just our city, but our country. And, uh, and America has leaders on many levels. There's people uh, from, from everywhere, from the President of the United States, all the way down the ballots and the tickets. And we should be looking concertedly at at what each of those positions represent, and supporting the people, as I've said, that stand on the word of God. Every, ro- every race, every vote is important, and so we encourage you to vote like I have. You can drop off your ballots outside or, or go to the polls on election day and make your voice be heard. Why is that so important? Um, so the nation of Israel, at its peak, existed under one king. One king, one ruler. And and historically, if you look at the Bible, the nation of Israel, it was at its peak under under King David and then King Solomon. And in the time of King Solomon, the nation of Israel had, had a higher GDP than any other nation in the world. It was the most economically influential nation on the planet. And actually, if you go back and look, it was probably the most economically influential nation at its time than any other nation in history. It had a higher GDP than than probably all of the other nations combined, and it had more influence than any nation here today in respect to its economic output. And so we should be looking at, at civilizations like that and societies like that that had such a pivotal and impactful role in the world. Now, America has historically been like that. We've never reached that level of influence, but we have been like that. We are the preeminent nation in the world in terms of giving. We give more than any other nation and many other nations combined. We we support other nations regardless of whether or not it's necessarily going to benefit us because it's the right thing to do. Now, we haven't always made good decisions or right decisions, but in large part, the sum total of what we've done as a nation has been good. But in the nation of Israel, if you look just after the time of Solomon, there was a a split, there was a division in the kingdom, and so you had the nation of Judah and the nation of Israel that were separated. And from that time on what you saw was, was very tragic and sad. You saw nations and these two separate divided nations that sometimes they would lean into God. Sometimes they would hear his word. Sometimes they would follow after his path and the nations would increase. They would have more influence. There would be economic prosperity. There would be life. There would be abundance. But then you saw that they at times would turn away. And there's this, this cyclic wave of, of going for God, then going away from God, of, of believing his principles is in truth and then and then rejecting them. And anytime a, a nation had a leader that would, would believe in the word of God, that would do right in God's eyes, the nation would flourish. But anytime they had a leader rise to power that would not, then the nation would decline or decrease. And right now in America, we see this as well. We see this kind of cyclic pattern of, of sometimes we, we promote what's good. Sometimes we promote the morality of the Bible, and then sometimes we, we turn away from it. Sometimes we have a, a leader that believes in the power of prayer, that believes in the church, that believes that the church should be an influence to the nation. And sometimes we have leaders that reject the church. Even if they don't say it, again, look at their fruit, test their fruit. So I believe not just this election in particular, but the season that we're in for America, we are at a critical juncture. We, we have been in a decline. And so my job today, my assignment today is kind of highlight some of those reasons, but also give us some whys. Some, some whys and some what we can do about it. Because if you look at the big picture, sometimes it's hard to think, well, somebody, I'm just a person living in, in Santee or El Cajon in East County, San Diego. What, what can I do? How can I possibly change the, this big, grand nation called America? How can I possibly make a difference? Well, what we need to understand is that it starts with us. It starts with us, and every person is important, and every person can be influential in changing the course of this nation, I'm going to bring some quotes today from some famous and influential people, and you might find this first one kind of interesting, especially considering the source that it came from. Let's put that first quote up there. America is like a healthy body, and its resistance is threefold. It's patriotism, it's morality, and it's spiritual life. If we can undermine these three areas, America will collapse from within. Joseph Stalin, leader of the Soviet Union. One of the enemies of America, enemies of justice, enemies of freedom. He recognized that a threefold cord is not easily broken. Where did that come from, I wonder? But he identified the specific things our patriotism, our morality, our spiritual life. If we look at society today, these three things are under attack now, probably more than at any time since the Vietnam era. Our patriotism, we have professional athletes that are disrespecting the national anthem, disrespecting the flag. We have companies that are, that are alienating customers to cater to woke ideologies. Transgenderism, segregation, segregation. Did you know that the University of Harvard right now, supposedly one of the highest institutions of learning in our country, is considering having a separate graduation for all African-American students? Why in the world would we do that? Didn't we fight so hard as a nation to end segregation, to end separate but equal? It is separate but evil. Why would we be bringing that back? Why would we be coming back to the same things that we fought so hard? as a nation, to overcome. Twitter right now is is losing about $4 million a day because advertisers are are pulling out, because um, activists are pushing these companies to to reject funding for Twitter, to stop supporting them, to stop advertising with them. Why? Because Twitter now has a leader that actually believes in the freedom of speech, that believes we shouldn't be censored. But the most alarming thing to me is the obvious spiritual decline in America that's happening and has been happening over probably the last decade, maybe more. Why is that? Why is this spiritual decline happening and what can we do about it? The church is supposed to be the light of the world. That we as Christians are supposed to have the answers. Why? Because we have God's instruction manual. We have this book which tells us the secrets of life. It tells us how we should live. So so the non-believers, non-Christians know that we as Christians believe this, or at least we should believe this, as that's what we say what we believe, but do we believe it? And even maybe more importantly, or actually in addition to that, do we apply it? Do we demonstrate it in our lives? Diedrich Bonhoeffer said this, your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. Your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. Christians should have the answers. We should know what we're talking about. And, and maybe individually, Christians do. And, and I think in, in the most part, across this country, Bible-believing Christians that, that study the Word of God, that read the Word of God, which we encourage here at Awakened Church, you should be getting answers. You should be getting solutions to these problems. And, and we are. But corporately, it's a different story. And what I mean by corporately is the corporate body of Christ in this country does not have answers. Over the last couple of years, we, we as a church or churches, the body of Christ did not really have answers for COVID. We did not have answers for, for race riots. We did not have answers for inflation. We did not have answers for economic issues in large part. Why? Because we've been divided. And a house divided cannot stand. Sometimes, in, in a lot of pastors, a lot of churches say, well, we, we don't want to offend anybody, so we're just not going to give an answer because we don't want to say the wrong thing and maybe scare somebody off from, from God. Listen, if you're, if you're preaching the Bible, if you're teaching the Bible, then it's never the wrong thing. It's the truth. We are called to preach, teach, and live the truth. But, but many pastors, many leaders say, well, you know, we're just going to skip over this section for now. We'll, we'll revisit it later. We'll circle back around to that. There was a church in the 1930s in Germany that said that. They said that we'll circle back around to some of these issues. We, we don't really know yet. We can't decide what the, what the real motivation is for this Nazi party. So we're just going to skip over it. The, the man that I just quoted, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a pastor in that era in the 1930s. And he saw so clearly that the intent of the Nazi party was not to bring unity, was not, was not a godly mission or assignment, and he spoke out against it. He raged against it. He, he lifted up the word of God. He, he went and he sought other pastors to agree with him. And in 1939, he was, he was in America at the time, and he left the safety of America. In 1939, at the start of World War II, he went to go back to his homeland of Germany to make a difference, to do anything that he could. And sadly, this this courageous man, this courageous pastor, he was sent to a concentration camp for his beliefs. And he was hung as a spy in 1945, just before the Allies liberated Germany. We need to look at his example. We need to look at his courage and ask ourselves, what can we do? Bonhoeffer said "To, to stay silent on the issues that are of importance is not silence at all. If we're silent about the important issues, then we're actually taking a stand, we're taking a position, but it's not the position that God would want us to take. In this current condition that we find ourselves in, in this country, I I believe that we are dangerously close to, to fulfilling a premonition that one of our greatest presidents had, Abraham Lincoln, said this, "'America will never be destroyed from the outside.'" If we falter and lose our freedoms, it will be because we destroyed ourselves. We will not be destroyed from the outside. Now, this this message is not supposed to be all doom and gloom. There There is some good news. Who's ready for the good news? The good news is this. America, as a nation, is a good system. We are a good nation. In fact, we're the most successful democracy the world has ever seen. We've we've lasted for almost 250 years under the Articles of Confederation and then the Constitution of the United States of America, the oldest democracy that's continuously running on this planet. We're not perfect. We've made mistakes. In fact, I just mentioned when the the Articles of Confederation, that was the first document that incorporated our government. But then 12 years later, we found that there were some some things that, that weren't working well. And so the framers of the Constitution got together and said, let's fix these problems. Let's fix these issues. And so the U.S. Constitution was ratified in 1789, and it's lasted for the last 233 years. That's a good system. Not perfect, but good. Winston Churchill said this, democracy is the worst form of government, except for all the others that have been tried. If you don't, look, you don't believe me, just look at some of the other forms of government that have been tried. Ask somebody from North Korea what they think about freedom of speech. It might be a short conversation. <laughs> Ask people from Venezuela who, who lived there a couple generations ago, or maybe their, their fathers or grandfathers would tell them about what it was like to live Venezuela in one of the most prosperous nations on the planet, one of the highest economies on the planet, And then socialism snuck in and destroyed their system, destroyed their economy, and for the last 30-odd years, they've had some of the highest inflation rates in the world, hundreds and thousands of percent inflation rate at times. You think, we have a bad inflation right now. If we follow the same path, then we'll wind up where they wound up just like the nation of Israel if they don't if they if they would have just looked if they would have just looked at the kings of the past if they would have just looked at the systems that were in place and where it took them if they would have tested the fruit then they would have known well that's not a good idea let's not do that again are we doing the same thing are we falling into the same trap if you look at the USSR before communism fell so many people were trying to get out of that system In fact, our lead pastor, Jürgen Metisius, his father was a soldier in East Germany. And he chose to run across a minefield to get out of communism, to get out of East Germany. Like Rick Green said last week, are people trying to get into your country or get out of your country? That's the test of a good system. And we have a good system here in this country. But we have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of work to do if we wanna keep it good, if we wanna protect our freedoms, In his book, Letter to the American Church, Eric Metaxas, he he details some of the the, uh, situations and circumstances around 1930s Germany and the church at the time. And he tells us, if we don't want to fall into the same trap, then we can't follow the same patterns that the church did at that time. But even one man's effort made a difference to fight against Nazism, that so many people turned away from that course. And he saved so many lives because of his effort. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, the ultimate test of a moral society is the kind of world that it leaves to its children. And I think for me, that's, that's one, of the most, one of the most passionate reasons that we have to make the changes that we're supposed to make now. When we look at our kids, when we look at the lives of our, our children and, and our grandchildren and, and our great-grandchildren, our legacy, if we, if we look at the type of country that, that they will have, and it takes some foresight, it takes some insight, we have to, we have to look at, at what will be the fruit of our decisions now, what will be the fruit of our political system now and our moral system, and most importantly, what I want to focus on, our spiritual system. Yeah, yeah. Right now, we're, we're finishing up a series called Save My City where we, we wanna talk about the impact that we can have, each one of us and us as a church, in our city, in our, in our location. How can, how can we change circumstances in our lives for the better? What can we do to help save our city? But we're also gonna be stepping into a new series called It's a Wonderful Life. And I still believe that that's true for America, that we have a wonderful life, that we have so many freedoms, we have the blessing and favor of God. And we want to keep that. And so I felt like today this message is is supposed to combine the two. So the title of this message is Save This Wonderful Life. Save This Wonderful Life. Now, I don't have enough time in the 20 minutes we have left to tackle uh, why are we losing patriotism, why are we losing morality, and why are we spiritually declining as a nation. In fact, I think it would take a year of sermons to, to even broach those subjects. But the truth is that we need to work together. We need an army of believers that are looking for the good or they're looking for the purpose of this country, but not just the purpose of the country and not just the purposes of this city, but the purposes for our lives. So the first thing that we can do, the first key to saving this wonderful life, for anybody who's taking notes because you believe in freedom and you want to see America succeed, is unlock the bias we've got to unlock the bias. What does that mean? Each one of us has a, has a force. We have a nature on the inside of us that leads us in certain directions. And, and typically, for most people, we have a selfish nature. And that, that, may seem, that may sound bad at first, like you're thinking, wait, I'm not selfish. I'm kind of a nice person. I believe that. You all are nice people. But the nature on the inside of us, it goes a little bit deeper. We, we have a selfish nature on the inside of us because we are wired to survive. We need food. We need water. We need things that allow us to live. And so our default is to, is to gather those things, to gather the resources, to have shelter, to have food, to have clothing, to, to make sure that, that we're in a place where we can live freely. Those are, those are the needs that we have built into us. And those are good needs. We should be doing that. We should be taking care of ourselves. In fact, it's really hard to help other people if we don't take care of those initial needs, those survival instincts. But then somehow, some way through life, we, we, we kind of expand those tendencies. We expand those biases to, to include our wants. It goes beyond just our needs. Now, now it's things that we want. And that's not bad either. You know, we, we should want to increase, we should want to be a blessing, we, we should want to be prosperous, that we can be blessed to be a blessing, we can help other people as we increase, as we grow. But when it starts to get into things in terms like where we're sacrificing other people's needs for our wants, that's real selfishness. When we're, when we're looking after ourselves, not just what we need, but, but the, the extravagance or the opulence or things that, that, are, that aren't necessarily necessary, at the expense of other people's needs. That's a dangerous ground. We have to recognize the fleshy nature on the inside of us. We have to recognize what what drives us. We have to find these natural tendencies and biases and then determine, is this a good thing for my survival? Is this a good thing for me to need? Or is it something that I should really release and let go of? And sometimes it's, it's kind of easy to identify. My, my sweet tooth drives me to pilfer through all my kids' Halloween candy and pick out all the stuff that I like the best and then put it in a, a drawer by my desk so throughout the year I can have snacks. Yeah. But my self-control keeps me from, from eating too much of it, and I'm happy to say I still have a, a shoebox size bin of candy in the drawer from last Halloween, and so now it's time to change it out. I got the new stuff, the good stuff. <laughs> It's insane how much candies they haul in these days. If, if you have a neighborhood that doesn't do Halloween well, come to our neighborhood that's like crazy. They were like, like pillowcases full of candy. Like We have to come back to the house and dump it out and then go back out and get more. They're like machines on a mission. Not all of our natural tendencies are bad, but we do have to identify them so that we can unlock them if they need to be unlocked and separate them. Sometimes it's hard. We could uh, come home from, from a long day at work and maybe we're working outside and it's hot and we're like, man, a cold beer sounds sounds nice right now. And Nothing wrong with that. I enjoy that as well. But maybe we can come home and, and we have a hard boss and we just feel like depressed and, and we say, man, I need a beer right now. There's a difference. There's a difference between your, your wants and your needs. There's a difference between, you know, how we respond in those Situations. Where do our tendencies lead us? Where do our bias lead us? We've got to unlock them and then apply the right solution in our life. Galatians 5.13 says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law, the entire law, is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. To underscore the importance of this, that's a, it's a reference to Leviticus 18, 19, or 19, 18. Do not seek revenge or bear grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And then this command, love your neighbor as yourself, it's repeated in all four Gospels, in Romans, in James, and here in Galatians as well. Such an important and pivotal piece of scripture. Serving is the key to unlocking the bias. When we focus on others, when we focus on serving, then then we tend to not think about what our own needs are. And in fact, we can we can often overlook many of what we would consider our basic needs of survival or or abundant life, like to, to serve somebody else. When we have a vision, a, a passion for other people, and we serve other people, this amazing thing happens. Somehow, some way, all of our needs get met too. When we look at other people, when we serve other people, something incredible happens where we're, sometimes not even just our needs, but our wants. We feel fulfilled, in fact, more fulfilled than when we were just serving our own desires, our own flesh, our own wants. Many times when we serve other people, we get revelation for ourselves. Many times when we serve other people, we get fruit into our own lives and we can't explain where it comes from, it just happens. And that's why Jesus says, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. As yourself. That means that we have to unlock our bias first. We have to unlock our natural tendencies first so that we can appropriately, so that we can properly love other people. And we need to give them space to do the same. Just because you're at a place where you know that serving other people is good, just because you've, you've gotten a revelation that, that we do have a selfish nature and, and we need to counteract that some way and you're going to do it by serving, it doesn't mean everybody else is there yet too. Give them time. Demonstrate with your Christian life, with your Christian walk, what they should be doing also. Let them see your fruit. Then they'll know. They'll know that God is good by what you're doing. But we shouldn't allow ourselves to be walked on or abused. We have to be wise. We have to be understanding that, that people will abuse our good nature. People will, our, will abuse our generosity. People will, will um, not understand where we're coming from, and they'll try and take advantage. And in verse 15, it says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not desire You'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. We have have a a spiritual nature and we have a fleshly nature. And they're they're at odds, they're at war with each other. That we need to give precedence to the Spirit, we need to walk by the Spirit so that we don't walk by our natural tendencies, so we don't walk by our natural desires. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. So as we resist our fleshly nature, we have to recognize that we can't just default to another fleshly system. We can't just do what somebody else does or or copy the pattern and behavior of somebody else because public opinion is rarely right. All we have to do is look at at, uh, Jesus coming in on Palm Sunday into Jerusalem. He was coming in as a king, coming in as a leader, triumphant. People were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, laying down palm branches in front of him, taking off their cloaks, putting it on the road so that he could walk on this donkey over them. He came in victorious. But then less than a week later, the crowd was shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. How quickly, how fickle, public opinion can be swayed. You have to be careful about what they're saying in the media, what they're saying in the news. What's, what's the, the motivation behind that? What's the intent behind that? Where are they trying to lead you? Every news organization is trying to lead you somewhere. You need to discover the, the root of the motive or the motivation of what's behind them. Who's supporting them? Who's funding them? What's their intent? What's their motivation? We can't be swayed by cultural influence. We have to be led by the Spirit. We have to course correct in the right direction. And that's the, that's the crux of the issue with the church today is that the church as a whole has stopped being led and swayed and directed by the word of God, but we're more concerned with, with the cultural opinions or public opinion. We're more concerned with, with not offending people than being true to the word of God. So the next thing that we have to do is we have to use the right lens. We have to unlock the bias, then we have to use the right lens. Each one of us has has a background, we have a history that has shaped where we are today. We have parents, we have an environment, we have schools that we've attended. All of these things contribute to to how we see the world. The bias is innate, it's natural, it's within us. But the lens is acquired. The lens is a product of our, our, our circumstances. It's a product of where we've come from and how we've responded in different situations. Even among Christians, though, it's hard for people to see eye to eye. It's hard for us to have the same lens. So how do we agree with one another? The tendency, I think, oftentimes is, is if there's a disagreement, even between believers, is to to find a middle ground, right? So you say, okay, I'm here and you're there, so why don't we just meet in the middle? But the problem with that is that if you're standing on the word of God, meeting in the middle is departing from the word of God. Like it sounds like it's supposed to be good compromise, right? Like, you know, we'll meet halfway, but that's, that's can be leaving from what you believe to be true. And there's another problem with that is that there's more than one opinion on a lot of the topics that we're facing today. And you can't, make a middle ground for all of them. There is no middle ground for all of the other opinions. So we can't be swayed, we can't be pulled in, in 10, 20, 100 different directions to try and find some middle ground, to try and find some compromise. We have to meet at the right place. We have to meet where God wants us to be. As an example illustration, two, two men pull up to an intersection. And one, one man starts honking his horn and say the light's green, go, what are you doing? Why are you stopping, the light's green? And the other man says, you're crazy, the light's not green, the light's red. And this kind of goes on back and forth for, for a few moments. And then a man walking his dog comes up to the intersection and the first guy shouts out to him, says, hey, will you tell this colorblind fool that, that the light is green? And the man with his dog looks at the light and he says, actually, you're both right. You're just on different sides of the intersection. As a church today, we're on different sides of the intersection. We're at the same place, but coming at it from different points of view, different angles. 2 Corinthians 5.16 says, So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. Not just see him but know him, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone, the new life has begun. There is a solution to using the right lens. There's a way that we can always come up with the right solution, and that's to use the God lens. It doesn't matter where we've come from, it doesn't matter our history, it doesn't matter our past, it doesn't even matter our current circumstance. If we put on the God lens, then we always see the right solution. If we test everything against the word of God, then we can come together. We don't have to find the middle ground, we have the right picture right in front of us. If we test it through the word of God, then we can come together and find the right solution. And that's what we need to do as a country. That's what we need to do as a church. To put it in, in perspective, if you, if you went out in, at nighttime and looked at the sky, and, uh, and some of us can, can identify a few of the constellations that we see in the Northern Hemisphere. You know, oh, we can pick out Orion's belt. I know that one. And, and maybe if you're studied, you can, you can pick out a few more. But, But trying to get people from two different backgrounds, two different walks of life to to always see the same picture and draw the same conclusions is like asking somebody on the different side of the Northern Hemisphere to to look at the night sky as well and not just pick out the constellations but actually draw the same picture. It's the same stars, but it'd be impossible for any two people to actually draw the same picture unless they had a template. What's interesting is I can take out my phone, and on my phone I have a, an app called Skyview, and I can, at nighttime or any time of the day, actually, I can look up at the sky, and it will point out all the constellations that are visible. And it will actually draw a picture of, of what the artist thinks the constellation would look like, what that picture would look like. But what's funny is that I can, I can take that phone and I can actually point it down and look at the ground and I can see constellations and pictures on the other side of the world. It knows where all the stars are. It can actually draw the pictures. Even though I could never see it with my natural eyes, the entire world is in my way. Sometimes it feels like there's an entire world of disbelief between you and your neighbor. Sometimes it feels like you could never possibly see things that the way that they see them. Well, the good news is you don't have to because you can't. You can't in your own power see from another world away somebody, something that somebody else sees. But there's a way that you can actually see and draw the same picture as them and it's through the lens of God. It's through the lens of the Word of God. The longer that we go out into the night sky, the longer we look at it, the more stars we start to see. Maybe we only see a few at first, maybe there's a lot of lights around, but if you look harder, if you look longer, you can start to see more appear. And that gives you a better idea of what the picture would be. The longer that you look at the word of God, the more truth you will see. The longer that you study his word, the more scripture will pop out at you and say, this is so relevant today, we're facing this exact same situation right now. Then you can take that and go talk with your brother, talk with your sister, talk with your family member, talk with your friend, talk with your coworker. And you can start to draw the same conclusions about where we need to go. But it takes us all. We can't do this alone. We need boots on the ground. We need people engaged in this. As a church, we need to be convincing others that this is the right way. We need to be convincing others that there is no other way for us to live in a free nation. There is no other way for us to return to morality. There is no other way for us to remember the principles on which this nation was founded. Some people will reject you, some people won't believe you. Luke 10, 16 says, whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. There are certain things that we can't do. There's certain lines that we can't cross. The last point I wanna focus on today is we've got to hold the line. We've got to hold the line. On one hand, we're supposed to love our neighbor and remove obstacles as much as possible, live peaceably. In, in the society and under the authority that God has appointed over us. He's given us a ministry and a message of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. That's our important mission. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. He gave us the model. No longer counting people's sins against them. He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. There's no question that, that the mission of the church should be to call people to come back to God. We should be reconciling people to God through Jesus Christ. But on the other hand, we cannot, we must not shy away from the truth. Light can't exist where darkness exists. There is a heaven, there is a hell, there is life, there is death. 1 John 1, to 5-7 says, this is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. We are lying if we say we have a fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We have a philosophy and a principle in this nation that we don't negotiate with terrorists. Why is that? Because if you try and find a middle ground with a terrorist, if you give them even an ounce of success, then you'll breed more terrorism. What you tolerate, you teach. And we're not going to teach terrorism in this nation, or we shouldn't be. Good cannot cohabitate with evil. The enemy doesn't, doesn't actually want equality. He says that, that he brings terms like marriage equality, which sounds good. Oh, marriage equality, that's, that seems nice. But that's not his intent. His, tent, his intent is to corrupt what God has created as good. His, his intent is co- to corrupt the design that God has given us for marriage. He doesn't actually want equality. The devil wants to dominate. And if he can't dominate, then he wants to undermine or wants to corrupt. And this has happened from before the beginning. Lucifer was created as an angel of light. But he wanted equality with God. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to be worshipped like God. And so he convinced a third of the other angels to join his side and war broke out in heaven. But he was cast down to earth. He was confined and constrained to time, and his time is short, but he rages against the church. He rages against each of us as human beings because we were created in the image of God, in his likeness, for no other reason. Just because we were born, and even before being born, he rages against us. In the womb right now, the devil is raging against He's He's so upset, he's so angry about the Supreme Court decision that was handed down to protect the sanctity of life. We need to be supporting those principles. We need to be putting people into office that will continue to elect judges and justices that make way for the Word of God to take precedence in our life and in our society. Amen? So as we come to a close, there are some critical steps that we need to pursue and follow. Second Corinthians 6:14, don't team up with, with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness? be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? We are at a critical phase in this country. We need to unlock the biases in ourselves. We need to put on the right lens, the Word of God, but we've got to hold the line. We've got to stand for what's true. We need to bring truth and love, find harmony with the believers, but only if it is on the truth, only if it's centered around the truth. My prayer in our prayer is that this election will be a turning point in this country, that we will, we will move away from the spiritual decline. We will move away from the principles that have been leading us out of morality. We need, to, we need to stop this anti-patriotic movement. We need to vote people into office that are gonna stand for the national anthem. They're gonna believe that the flag is a symbol of freedom and justice throughout the world. We need to go back to morality. We need to go back to patriotism. But more than anything else, we need to go back to a spiritual walk with God. We need to turn and return to God to live free. We need to bring back the American dream. But we've got to choose wisely. I'm going to end with this quote from one of the founders of the company that I've worked for over the last 15 years. He and his brother started started General Atomics in 1994 and they are patriots, and they believe in capitalism, they believe in a free market society, they believe in the freedoms that this country was founding on, and this quote is from his book, Losing Freedom. Operating systems matter, choices matter, and our decisions on who and what set of ideas will represent us best matters perhaps most of all. Lyndon Blue. Who we elect into office, who represents what matters most to us, perhaps matters most of all. Are we making the right choices? Are are we voting? Are we being engaged? Are we being involved? Every single one of us has a responsibility. First and foremost, to set our lives right with God, to unlock the bias. And we can only make those right decisions. We can only make that connection, establish that relationship if we've given our life to Him. So right now, why don't we do this? Can we all stand to our feet? And I wanna pray for anybody here today. If you've never made that connection, if you've never established the relationship, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He is the way, the truth, the life. He is the only way that we can really unlock the biases in our lives. A life with Jesus gives us access to the Holy Spirit. So we can have discernment, we can weave through all the noise of the world, what the media is telling us, even maybe what, what some of our family members are telling us, that we can find wisdom, we can find the truth, we can find knowledge, we can find grace in Him. And if there's anybody here today and, and you haven't made that decision, then I'd love to pray with you. But maybe, maybe there's some people here today where at one point in your life you You said a prayer and you you gave your life to Christ, but you found that where you're at right now, you don't feel like you're walking with him. You don't feel like you're walking on the right path. You know that you need to get right with God. If that's you, I'd love to pray with you as well. So right now with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you wanna establish that relationship with Jesus Christ, would you lift up your hand right where you're at? I'll see it include you in this prayer. God bless you, see that hand. Who else is there today? You wanna form that relationship. You wanna be able to unlock the biases in your life. See that hand, God bless you, so proud of you. Anyone else, love to include you, God bless you. See that hand, thank you Jesus. See that hand, so proud of you. Once I've seen your hand, you can put it down. Anybody else here today, maybe you you know that you need to get your your life right with God. You wanna rededicate your life today. You wanna walk in freedom, in Him. You want to be able to discern between good and evil that's surrounding us, the good and evil that the culture is trying to to push us into. If that's you, would you lift up your hand? You know that you need to get right with God. Who are those ones? See that hand. God bless you. So proud of you. Who else is there? I'd love to pray with you. See that hand. God bless you. Anyone else here today? I want to close this service now. We're over time, but I, I, I don't want you to miss out on this opportunity. Just one more moment. Maybe there's a, a bit of a wrestle going on in your heart right now and you're not sure if, if that applies to you and, and you don't want to be embarrassed. I, I don't want to embarrass you, but I want you, to, I want you to receive this opportunity. Who is those ones? Who am I waiting on right now? You know you need to get right with God. Rededicate your life to him. Anybody here today? Thank you, Jesus. God bless you, sir. Thank you. Why don't we do this? Let's all say these words, everybody together. Say, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending your Son Jesus Christ to die for my sins. I believe that God is my Father, that Heaven is my home, and that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead to give me life and life abundantly. I thank you that I can live out my life in a way that honors Him with your help, with your Spirit to guide me, to lead me, to give me grace so that I can give grace to other
0: people in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wow. What an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com